Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today on the podcast, we are talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber about USC summer workouts. They've continued on. They've had three uh, workouts so far. We usually talk to Dan. We, we talked to Dan last week on a Tuesday. But, of course, if you check out the Peristyle Podcast, we had T. Martin on uh, this week. So, again, the, the format's a little bit different. Uh, we had Coach Harvey Hyde on Monday for a shorter show. T. Martin, really good podcast. Check that one out on uscfootball.com. Uh, on Tuesday, and then today, uh, Dan Weber. We're going to talk about summer workouts, answer some questions. We do love to hear from you, so send in your questions. Let us know who the question is for. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. You can voicemail us at 206-888-6755 or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer. All right, let's bring in Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Hey, uh, doing good, doing good. Enjoy it. Yeah, and the, so I wanted to. We got some questions, but I wanted to talk about the uh, the summer workouts a little bit. We got to see the third player run practice, is what they like to call them, and a couple new faces. We got to see Iman Marshall, who we hadn't seen before, uh, at least at these USC workouts, and uh, you know Cedric Ware was out there uh, as well, getting some some carries in. And we, you know, I, to be honest, we haven't seen a lot of Trey Madden, but he got some some work in as well. So maybe Ware didn't get as many carries as you would think but because madden kind of inserted himself i think really for the first time in quite a while yeah and it's not a you know where they're going to do a lot you know the running stuff they're doing is mostly uh it's not you wouldn't call it walkthrough it's what they call that uh their pre-practice kind of thing where you know it's just getting down the you know the steps and the timing and and what have you because it's just not geared uh you know the throwing sessions aren't exactly geared uh but it, it is great to to see uh, Trey uh, stepping back in there. And uh, Aka Cedric uh, is a uh, uh, physical and uh, pretty dynamic athlete when you see him in person. Really nice size and uh, thought he looked didn't look like a freshman, looked like he was kind of, uh, you know, as we've seen him at the top level in Texas high school football at the level that that team has played at. Uh, he's a kid looks, you know, very comfortable uh, being there, the uh, as far as the the team and what they have to do during these off season workouts, talk about like the comfortability. I think now that they have these uh, organized uh, stretching beforehand, it seems like it's a little more organized. Even though it was well organized last year, what have you seen a difference between this year and last year? Now that they have strength coaches out there, kind of working on things. Well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think it, it uh, uh, kind of it looks a little more official. It just looks uh, you, you don't have to have Cody, for example, and uh, you know the other guys that are you know kind of becoming the you know Max Turk, the the team leader kind of guys don't have to round everybody up, uh, you know, and get that you know, official kind of start start. And then I think they go from you know the warm up sessions and the you know loosening up sessions to uh, uh, seven on seven and uh, all the other stuff that they do 
uh, more smoothly, although some of that's probably just a, a result of, you know, they did it last year. They had to work hard last year to get in all those plays in the amount of time that they had. This year, uh, I think they're getting in as many the same plays, same number of plays, only it just doesn't look like they're having to try so hard. They just look much more, as you would expect, much more uh, able, you know, to run, you know, the up-tempo stuff without looking like they're working real hard. To, I guess it was just so obvious that they were trying so hard to get all those plays in and to get it done. This year it looks very natural, and uh, and that's the difference. Uh, it's just much more, uh, you know, accustomed to going at that that high pace and, uh, you know, doing all the things they're doing, you know, having them signal in from the sideline and all the other stuff that they're doing that they don't have to think about now. And uh, which would be a good sign that instead of, you know, getting into the season and then maybe having to gear things back, this might be with the numbers and with the familiarity with it and with the coaches understanding, you know, the players and all that, if they can go into a game and not have to think, gosh, we get to the second half, maybe we better dial it back or whatever. You know, I mean, I think last year you saw it in the Fresno State game and you saw it in the Notre Dame game. And then, you know, otherwise you didn't always see that uh, up-tempo that went, you know, through the game. And uh, I think I think that you're seeing that in the summer. Um, the summer – we're talking about the players, the player run practices because we can see those. But also four days a week, they're working out uh, on the field and in the weight room with the strength and conditioning coaches. And uh, you had a nice piece about uh, Ivan Lewis, and people can check that out on uscfootball.com. But uh, Tark wants to know: um, Have you noticed that these any of these guys got bigger this off season? So it, I mean, it's it's we look at the practices; that's what we can watch. But they're actually you know working, trying to build their bodies up for fall camp too. Yeah, I mean, I think the one that jumped out at me is uh, is Max Turk. Just you know, now we know how much how hard he worked to you know probably keep it 285, and you know now we know he looks like a senior. He looks like a, he looks like an All American. He's got that uh, you know he always had a you know, great set of legs, but he's six six, and with that long frame. Uh, it takes a little bit longer, maybe, but uh, and I know he's uh, he got on that 12,000 calorie a day diet, but his upper body just looks great. I just think he looks like he's got, you know, the big arms and shoulders and that that, that we maybe hadn't uh, seen uh, before. Uh, I would say Anthony Sorrell, and we can't, you know, we don't get to talk to him, so we can't ask him how much they weigh. He looks significantly thicker. Um, he looks more like a middle linebacker now. Uh, so I had, I had to guess he's, you know, certainly, uh, closer to 230 than 220, maybe, you know, more than that, but he, he looks like he's, uh, uh, put on some significant weight. Uh, I'm trying to think who else would be just real obvious. I think, uh, Quentin Powell is a little bigger and it's not, you know, probably ever going to come easy for him to put on, put on weight, but any, anything he does put on, uh, is, uh, is fine. I think, uh, Jabari Ruffin, I think, looks a little bigger. I don't know. What yeah, do you think? he looks different. He he and he had gotten there. I think last year he had gotten to 240 last year when uh, when uh, he uh, wasn't wasn't able to play. But I think he was really hitting the weights. Uh, his his upper body, 
you know, shows a lot. Um, uh, some of the younger guys, uh, let's see, who would be the real, uh, Connor Spears is a guy and he doesn't even look, he's six, six and I think two fifty two, but he's probably put on 20 pounds since he's gotten to USC. And he really looks like a natural, uh, big time tight end at this point had a great, uh, and it probably needs to be at least at that weight, uh, to be effective. But, uh, he's a guy that just very quietly has, has you know, done what he's done, but, uh, but he looks, he looks awfully good. I, I, I think, uh, anybody on, uh, I think we have as many guys probably have gone the other way. Kenny Bigelow at 285 looks trim and, and about as good as, as we see. We always thought he looked really good. Well, I think he looks, uh, he looks even, you know, better at 285. Uh, defensively, uh, Scott Starr, I think, looks good. Like, oh yeah, he does. I mean, Scott Felix. Really sorry, does. Scott Felix. <laughs> yeah, Scott Felix. Yeah. Uh, uh, in the secondary, I don't know that I've seen anybody that that just jumps out at you that that it's gotten bigger. Uh, Sue Cravens probably. You know, went down to 210 or so, and uh, says he wants to play at 225. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Um, uh, uh, anybody else that is real obvious? Uh, I think more. You like the way that you know, say a Damian Mama comes in at 40 pounds down, and you real you realize again how how really big he is, and yet how much more able he is to move his body. I think uh, Vianney uh, Talamavio looks like he maybe he's down probably 20 from his top weight. Um, I think Jordan Simmons looks like he's uh, gotten himself going in the right direction. Uh, but, um, if there's anybody else that just jumps out. See, I, I think it's more not so much just the amount of weight. It's the way they look. I just think there's they're more – you see more guys that are cut, defined. It's just a natural kind of maturing process, I would think. And this was a young team, so they're gonna look. Uh, they're just gonna look like they're growing up, uh, growing into their bodies. And uh, uh, so, I think uh, I don't think this was a team that really needed, in a lot of places, to put on a lot of weight. I don't think that's the uh, that's the focus so much. I mean, it is for the for the few. And, you know, they are doing a much better job with uh, individualized uh, nutrition programs that, you know, Becky Twombly, uh, you know, puts together for them and having people there, you know, early in the morning so they can, you know, eat before they, you know, uh, at least get some nutrition in them before they lift and then that they have breakfast ready for them as soon as they come off uh, the field from the 6 o'clock workout and breakfast ready for the the guys in the 8 o'clock workout so that they make sure that they eat before they go to class. Uh, I think that's a big change uh, that we're seeing, and I think that's paying off. But it, it, it's not a case of they had all these guys that really needed to put on weight. They're, they're plenty big enough, uh, and they're really tall. I mean, when those linemen get together, kind of huddle up, you realize how many, um, I think I said the other day, they have uh, 16 guys that are 6'5 or bigger on this roster, which is, Pretty amazing, yeah. Uh, and you know, when you got the six, 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 seven, six, nine, um, this is a team uh, that that uh, and and then Sark has always talked about getting those rangy bodies, and then you have another guy, you know, show up like I'm on Marshall the other night, and he's six, you know, pushing six two, 
and 200 pounds and uh that's a that's the kind of a look you you like if the if the kids are athletic enough and uh and you know we're getting to see that they've got pretty many athletes so you mentioned uh Emma marshall we talked about him when you look at the overall team it just seems depth is a lot better there's more players coming in we still haven't even seen all the freshmen yet it seems like a lot different of a roster just looking at it now compared to last summer. Has any of the, the newcomers kind of stood out to you? Um, I know Deontay Burnett, who's a, a blue shirt, he, I mean, he's made some, some cool plays. Caleb Wilson, who's a walk-on, his, you know, the son of the defensive line coach, I thought has played really well, making some crazy catches. Uh, but anyone stood out to you from that group? Well, I mean, I, I do think he, Caleb is the uh, maybe the surprise of the summer because he was a kid that was a basketball player uh, and uh, split his time with tight end and quarterback. And I think he made an athletic leaping catch the other day that uh, you thought, okay, um, maybe USC's lost one tight end, but uh, this is a kid that that might be able to you know to compete for those kind of jump balls and uh, you know catching the ball in a crowd. I, w- I was. I was really impressed with him. I think Yakeli Ross looks like uh, uh, doesn't look like a freshman uh, physically, you know, talent-wise. Um, it'll be interesting to see can he and you know, and uh, and Biggie and uh, Marshall can can both of them step in and and give them you know starters uh, or starter play and allow, for example, uh, you know, Dory to to go to offense. I mean, that's just uh, one of the kind of things that's a byproduct of depth is if you've got enough guys that you can say, you know, we're really, really going to, you know, give uh, Adoree a chance to, you know, 20, 25 plays on offense a game, something like that. Uh, that really puts some pressure on opponents' defenses, I, I, I think. And, uh, and and you can kind of, you know, spot Adoree on uh, offense and situationally play him and all of that kind of thing. But, but you do get the sense that uh, there's not that, that feeling of, do we have enough guys? How do we, how do we make the game short enough so that we don't uh, have, uh, you know, players that are too tired at the very end and all that. I think that just that, that psychological edge that, that having enough players is something you haven't had, you know, for three years, uh, and the coaches have had to think about uh, they, if you can not have to think about that and not have to think, oh, we've got to change our game plan in the second half. And you're seeing that already. I mean, I was thinking that even without counting any of the incoming freshmen, you know, and this is, you know, the best freshman class in the country, uh, without having to consider any of those players, they had more depth than we've seen. And uh, so you, you, you're in a situation now where you only have to go with the incoming freshmen who just demand time on the, on the field. So the guys who really are good enough and really are ready enough will get out there, but you don't have to rush anybody out there. None of the, the linemen, for example, I don't think any of them are going to have to play. And that's wonderful you know, situation, you know, for linemen. Now, if some of them are ready, I think they'll get a chance. I think Sark, one of the best things he's done is is be able to incorporate you know, the young guys and get them on the field. Uh, but, uh, but there's no sense of, of you've got to do that now. Uh, and that's, uh, I think that's different. 
Uh, let's go to some of these questions, Dan. Uh, here's a voicemail one for you. Play it. Here you go. Soma Zabuku deserves to be in the tailback rotation. We should stop calling him a fullback. He is the last tailback recruited by Pete Carroll. We just made the mistake under the Kiffin era to put him at fullback. As a red shirt freshman, he was faster than all the tailbacks. All this is documented at ESPN. How can a person this talented, this powerful at 270 and fast not be in the tailback rotation? You don't use fullbacks. Wake up, Sark. Wake up, people in the news. Yeah, I, I do think uh, Summer will be in there. I think he'll be at 255 would be my guess. I think once he realized in the spring that he could be in that rotation, um, that 255 would probably be where he would need to be. Uh, and we're, you know, we could expect, I think, to have a big tailback in that rotation. I think Trey Mann, if he plays at, you know, like 223 or something like that, will be maybe the midsize guy. And, uh, and then Justin Davis, who continues to impress, I think he just looks naturally quicker, more explosive, and, and more uh, just comfortable uh, out there. Uh, and, you know, again, they have, they don't run the ball that much in the summer, and they uh, it doesn't really show up because they're not in pads. So exactly what they're doing. But he jumps out at you as, uh, as a guy who's made some real – made some real progress and uh, not that he, you know, hadn't shown lots of flashes uh, the first two years, but, uh, um, but I think, you know, those three in a rotation, I don't know if it'll be, you know, I think people say, well, who's going to be the starter or whatever. I think that'd be, you know, to some extent situational. Um, and, and I think you have to go into the year with three and I think to, you know, Pinner, I think as again, uh, you're, you're right about no fullbacks, pretty much. So uh, I think you can count on him as a big, as a big, uh, you know, tailback, and a guy can catch the ball. And then you've got the freshmen, and I just don't think we have any idea how those are going to, how those guys are going to play out, and you know what role you're going to have. You know, are they going to be more, uh, you know, catching with Ronald Jones and um, and Dominic Davis, more catching the ball in the flat, just trying to you know create space for guys with with their speed. Uh, Aka Cedric certainly looks, uh, you know, got a very much of a, a similar physique to uh, to Justin and kind of a similar, you know, skill set, although maybe a little bit more of a pounder. Uh, but uh, but I think, you know, just the very fact that there will be a nice rotation uh, is, is a good thing. Uh, I'm not, you know, probably so much worried about exactly how the rotation is going to go. You know, one, two, three. But I, you know, I think someone will will certainly be in the rotation, and be nice if they get enough plays to get enough, you know, carries for those guys. I think that's one of the uh, the things you would hope would uh, argue for uh, playing the hurry up style, running a lot of plays, and being able to get carries for all those guys. Um, all right, let's see. Let's move on. We're going to talk to with Cedric from Texas. He says. I love the work that you and your team do. As a recent USC student and band member and huge football fan, I always look forward to the coverage in the podcast. Well, thanks, Cedric. Uh, the question is for you and Dan. 
We've been over the job Sark, Wilcox, and Helton have done, but how have the other position coaches like Sermon, Hayward, and Nansen, how about the other position coaches like Peter Sermon, uh, Keith Hayward, and Johnny Nansen? It's hard to judge off one season, but how do you assess the coaching play de- player development and improvement or lack of at those positions? Also, in my opinion, it's been worth having a secondary coach as one of the limited number of assistants. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think uh, uh, having a secondary coach mattered, and, and not having one uh, the years that they didn't have one, uh, I think was a limiting, you know, a limiting factor. I think last year it would be hard to judge them because uh, you know they were just for so many of them, six of them, I guess. Uh, it was a whole. Not only was new being at USC. Uh, and the challenges of recruiting for USC are, are different, certainly from, say, at Washington. And um, uh, but then there was the whole issue of the limited scholarships, and it was something that they hadn't, uh, you know, these are these guys hadn't ever, you know, as much as Sark had been at USC, uh, you hadn't ever had to coach a year with uh, with the limited scholarships. So I thought that added a. Uh, extra layer of degree of difficulty to the uh, to the coaching last year, and figuring out how do you practice with those guys and how hard can you go? And I think they're they're very aware of how many reps guys get. And um, I do think one of the things that they probably do a little differently, whether they'll absolutely just come right out and say that, is that some of the game planning where you know they basically this was one of the best teams in the country in the first half. And uh, second half was a different story. And whether, you know, how much you can attribute that to, you know, game planning where they decided, you know, we got to, you know, run the clock and run the ball, try to slow things down, hopefully get through uh, to the end of the game. And a couple of times they couldn't quite make it. Uh, Should they have basically kept the, you know, cut all of the metal and just seen how far, you know, the non-rotating players could go just on based on talent and, you know, get the kind of lead where you weren't going to give it up. I think that's, uh, that's the learning curve we're looking at with this coaching staff. And, and they're saying the right things. Uh, and we want to see, I think, as to, um, you know, how well do they pick up on, uh, uh, you know, on what they uh, – you know, what they've observed, what they know about these players, what they know about, you know, the, the schedule and the way it breaks down and, and, uh, and all the various challenges. I know, uh, I think one of the, and there was a, there was a, a challenge of, of keeping up with the guys the year before. Uh, you know, for example, you know, Tommy Robinson was just a, a sensational running backs coach. His one year at USC, uh, he just couldn't have done a better job, you know, than he did. And so, uh, you know, the, the challenge is out there for them to, you know, match up. I think, you know, Mike Eckler did a great job as a linebacker's coach. So um, I, I think it takes a year uh, for us to, to really evaluate them. But, uh, but I think this will be a year and a year where they can all – we'll be able to tell if they're all on the same page and uh, if everybody seems to – and we got another new one to evaluate, Coach Conley, the offensive line coach. He's gotten off to a good start. He's a kind of a down-home guy. Uh, I think the younger players, which is an awful lot of the offensive line, you know, can identify with him. He's a college guy, uh, uh, a lifer, you know, I think is a college coach pretty much, and, uh, and uh, maybe able to talk, 
you know, in the language that those guys, uh, those guys can understand. But uh, even for us, you know, if you go to practice, it isn't always that easy to know for sure uh, who's doing what. I mean, we know, for example, Clay Helton really takes over the offense in practice. I mean, there's no question about it. Who's, uh, who's, who's running, uh, you know, practice uh, from the offensive side of the ball uh, on the field. How that plays out in games, it's not been as absolutely clear. I know that, you know, Sark's made it clear. He wants to be, you know, the play caller. Um, and there is always some, you know, controversy over exactly what that entails and what that should entail. And a lot of that is, is from Lane, left over from Lane. But, uh, but I think uh, trying to, to come up with that absolute evaluation and individual positions uh year one might be maybe more than than uh than you want to try to do but this year i think is the year to really uh be able to evaluate uh every single one of the position groups and the you know position group coaches uh let's go <coughs> excuse me sorry about that a little uh <laughs> clear the throat yeah. in the morning uh earl in west la had a question he said over the past few years I have heard and read a lot of criticism of Pat Hayden's leadership of USC Athletics. Admittedly, the criticism has largely been football-related. However, it seems to me he's doing an amazing job with multiple teams competing for national championships every year. He has hired terrific coaches for women's basketball, soccer, baseball, and track and field. Lacrosse has made the uh, national tournament in each of its first two years. Sand Volleyball won the 2015 National Championship in their second year of existence, and baseball is once again a national presence. In addition, golf, water polo, volleyball, and tennis seem to compete for national championships every year. I was wondering if Dan knows how this record compares to Jess Hill's first five years as athletic director, Earl in West L.A. No, it's way better than, than Jess Hill and sand volleyball. They were, they were <laughs> terrible in sand volleyball back then. <laughs> Can you imagine if they had tried to trot out a sand volleyball team back in the 30s? Oh, man, I, I just... Uh, they did a lot of, you know, groundbreaking stuff though back there, and USC was never afraid to, to do some of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, the thing with with Pat, I think he'll, uh, uh, you just, you know, don't want to do anything uh, in terms of those sports that you, you cited. USC really ought to be good. I mean, it's hard to compete numbers-wise in baseball and track and field just because of the severe limitations on scholarships and what it costs, you know, the cost of attendance at USC, which is, you know, certainly well double that at UCLA. Or when USC goes into a dual track meet against UCLA, and it was probably one of the most exciting uh, single sports events of the year, you know, UCLA looks like they've got twice as many athletes because it's a whole lot cheaper to walk on at UCLA than it is at USC. So you've got to do every, just everything right, recruiting and uh, and the makeup of your squad in sports like baseball and um, and uh, and track and field. And they've done that. I mean, I just think you can You know, Dan Hubbs in baseball and Carol Smith Gilbert has just been sensational in uh, in what she's done and. In uh, you know two years in, in track and field, it's just been uh, you just can't ask for any more than that. And USC ought to be darn competitive in in the volleyballs and the uh, you know golf and tennis and what have you. You know if you can't compete in those sports at USC, probably you really you're you know you're doing something wrong. I think you, know, you get evaluated though as an athletic director, uh, you know from the two big sports and and that's uh, football 
and uh, and men's basketball, until you know a lesser extent women's basketball. I think those are still uh, to some extent to be determined. I mean, in in, in you know men's basketball, I've always thought it's a sleeping giant here in LA. You've got you know as good of and maybe the best high school recruiting uh, you know field in the country. Um, you've got a new place to play a very, you know, you're, you're the only college basketball program that's located a mile and a half from two NBA teams. I mean, the, the exposure is unparalleled. I mean, they used to, when the, uh, the years with, with OJ Mayo going against Kevin Love from UCLA, you would see 25 NBA scouts there on every weekend game. And, uh, so, I mean, I think they've got a lot going for them in basketball. Uh, and I think Tim, you know, Floyd had it going in the right direction and, you know, had had the potential to be that kind of a, a program. I think they've, they've got to get basketball there, women's basketball, a lot of turnover uh, with kids leaving this year. We'll see where that goes. That's still, um, you know, there's still a – we don't know. I mean, we don't know how that's going to go. And, and with, with football, I mean, I think everybody in the country essentially says, USC – is absolutely one of the top four coaching jobs in America in college football. I don't think there's any, you know, with history and location and tradition, all the other stuff that you got going for you. And uh, I think at USC, you basically have to, you know, the guy you hire has to, you know, become one of those coaches, one of those top four, five coaches, you know, Urban Meyer and, you know, Nick Saban and whoever's at USC ought to be in the same conversation. And so, uh, so those are, I think, still to be determined. Uh, but, uh, but there are a lot of ways that, you know, USC's done an awfully lot of good things in, uh, in, in their, you know, athletic program recently. But if you look at the history, I mean, they've been, I mean, they're the, they're the greatest college baseball program in history. USC has the greatest track and field program in history. And their, you know, record in, and things like uh, you know tennis and, uh, and and golf and and volleyball and all that you know probably uh, you know compare and certainly with uh, you know water polo you know compare with anybody so uh, you know there's some maintenance and some where you really got to hit it out of the park in terms of uh, you know the big uh, you know the big money sports. Well, one last one for you, Dan. It's from Mark. He says, uh, "What's happening?" with the Coliseum renovation plans and how might USC participate in the new soccer stadium at the site of the sports arena? Well, I think that's a real interesting question and, and it's one we've got to find out about because, uh, uh, the, you know, the way we understand, you know, the lease and the, the USC has control of, of all that property. And, uh, and yet, uh, the soccer team in their announcement uh, for, you know, for the new stadium and all that and made it sound like that they were pretty much going to be in charge of, of the stadium, that it was going to be, you know, their uh, sole undertaking and responsibility and how that works out for USC. I don't think we know yet. I, th- I think one of the things that's happening with the whole Coliseum renovation and all of that is that um, you've got uh, the potential for some NFL teams, you know, a couple of NFL teams to come in here. And they're going to need a place to play at least for a year uh, 
before whatever stadium project really gets underway. And and they're still jockeying around, you know, you know, what are they going to do in uh, in San Diego? Are they going to come up with a stadium or are they coming here? What are they going to do in Oakland? Uh, it doesn't look like there's any possible way that they can put together a stadium project uh, in Oakland. Uh, but, you know, the question with Oakland is, you know, do you want Oakland coming back to the Raiders and the Davis family? Uh, then you got – you know, the Cronky, uh, you know, family and, uh, and the Rams to return. That one you would certainly think is going to happen. But however that happens, it certainly looks like the NFL wants it. Uh, and at least one of those teams, and maybe two, uh, are going to want it. And I think we would have expected that USC maybe would have made some announcements about uh, exactly how they're going to go forward in renovating the Coliseum by now. Why they haven't, if I had to guess, it's because of the wild card of the NFL coming back. And that might change because uh, it's going to take two, two football, over two football seasons to, to really do, redo the Coliseum the way they want to do it. But if you're going to have a, an NFL team, I can't even imagine, could you possibly have two NFL teams playing in there and alternating on Sundays with USC? Uh, on Saturdays, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but that may change the nature of the renovations. You know, do you put in things that the, uh, the NFL team pays for? Uh, you know, do you change, do you, do you get some, uh, you know, a separate building for private boxes and maybe a new press box or something like that? Uh, does that go up, in, uh, you know, th- so that it can accommodate both the NFL uh, in the short run and USC in the long run. I think that will take some more, you know, design, uh, you know, savvy in terms of, of doing something that works for both and something that maybe the NFL, you know, teams can help pay for. Uh, so that's my guess is that the, the renovation is kind of waiting and seeing. I know, you know, for example, um, the, the Chargers owners were seen coming out of, uh, you know, Pat Hayden's office one day, and they certainly have been doing, you know, they certainly have been talking, and uh, and so I, you, basically you're waiting on seeing what the NFL is going to do, and as anybody that's in LA has been familiar with how that process has gone, you don't want to put too much. Uh, on the line, you know, for the, you know, the NFL is coming because obviously uh, they'll use, teams will use L.A. As, and the potential of going to L.A. as a way to get a better deal in their own town. Right. So, uh, you know, so I think, is it a waiting game? I think to some extent it's a waiting game. To some extent it's worth waiting for if you can get an NFL team to pay for some of the early, you know, renovations in the Coliseum. Uh but you don't want it to screw up the potential of redoing the Coliseum in the right way. Um, so I would say there's one of the challenges, I think, to be in the AD at USC that you'll be able to measure, uh, you know, Pat Hayden's tenure by is, is how they, uh, how they pull that off. And it's the thing that Pat has said, uh, has, has kept him wanting to stay, you know, for, uh, maybe the last couple of years of his tenure is to get that right, to get it financed and to get it, you know, get it on its way. And uh, it's a big deal for, for USC football, no question about it.
All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Uh, thanks for uh, coming on on our Wednesday show. And uh, we'll see you out there at the next workout. And, of course, we'll talk to you on the podcast again next week. Yeah, uh, sounds great. And uh, keep those questions coming. Yeah, send them in. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, But thanks, thanks to you, Dan. And uh, thanks, everyone else, for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.